Talking about the end days here, the end of times, but we are living in some interesting days, aren't we? And when I was in Wisconsin, we were following the news closely. We did some praying, and uh, God put some things in my heart while I was there. But the whole Russia and China maybe siding together, that is like fulfillment of prophecy there. Gog, Magog, sounding familiar to anybody. So we are living in some really exciting times, and God just has a word for us for now, for what's going on right now, for what's going on in our lives right now. It's not to be woe. It's not to be fearful. It's to be of good cheer, for he has overcome. And then we get to look up because our redemption draws nigh. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, they all looked forward to the day that we are living in, wishing that they could live in this day. So God has blessed us to live on the edge of when Jesus is going to come back. And I hope that I am still here to see that sky split and to see him come for his church. It's going to be exciting. So we're going to just take a look at a few things that he put in my heart about praying for the last days and about how to conduct ourselves in these last days. So in Genesis 47, this was the verse that really got me thinking about it. And it really doesn't have anything to do with the last days, but let's just read it here. It says, Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. How old are you? Pharaoh asked him. Jacob replied, I have traveled this earth for 130 hard years, but my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again before leaving his court. And I just kind of got this uh, stuck in my heart and I kept meditating on it. And it just struck me funny because usually the greater blesses the lesser right? The dad in the Old Testament would bless the sons. The authority blesses the ones under him. And here, Pharaoh has the authority, man. He's the leader of Egypt, the ruling world power of, of the time. And I really bet that Pharaoh thought he was the one blessing Jacob. He gave him some land, you know, helped him to settle into the country and everything. But, but God says here that in his word that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. It's just a picture of what the church is to do for their government. And I just started thinking, am I blessing my government or am I waiting for my government to bless me? There's a couple different attitudes in this country. Either the government owes me everything <laughs> or I'm going to get it myself. But we're not, we weren't put here. As, as the church, as citizens, then our, our government owes us some things, right? There are some laws laid out. There are some, you know, tax guides. There are all kinds of things, rules that our government does give us. But we do not have to wait for our government to bless us. We were put here to bless and release power for our government. What does 1 Timothy 2 say? Verses 1 through 4. First of all, I exhort you to pray for all men, for leaders and all who are in authority. So the first thing we're to do is to pray. So when we hear things coming to pass in our nation and some decisions that our, our president is making and some decisions that the UN is making and some decisions that are going on in this world, is the first thing that you do pray or is the first thing that you do complain? Or is the first thing that you do get into fear? Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, God's got a different plan. 
He's got a different plan for his church here. We're talking about God. Unlimited resources of power, right? Unlimited resources of life and power. And God has a plan. And we're going to look at that real quick tonight. You know, God said, Jesus told Pilate, you don't have any power that God has not given you. Right? Didn't he? There's no power given to you except what was given by my Father in heaven. Jesus wasn't afraid of the man who was ready to take his life. And we are not to live in fear. We're not to play, pray from a place of fear. We are the church. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Whom shall I fear? We're going to cast out that fear tonight. Go over to Ephesians 5. We're going to look at this in the NIV. We're going to start in verse 8. Oops. It says, for you were once darkness, and this is one of the things that God put in my heart to pray. So I'm going to give you a couple things to pray, and then we're going to look at something. And then if we have time, we're going to pray together tonight. It says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Oops. I lost it. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And it even kind of ties into what Pastor Daniel was talking about. We got to kind of get all of our strings in tune here. We are living in the last days, right? So this is what he wants you to do. And this is one thing that he put in my heart to pray for these last days. Wake up, sleeper. Arise from the dead. Because there's a lot of people in the church and there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians that are laying down with the dead and comfortable with it. I mean, if you could see in the natural what your spirit is doing, you would freak out. How many of you would freak out if you woke up in a coffin next to a dead body? I think I would turn a hundred shades of white and just do whatever I could to scratch my way out of there. Right? But in the spirit, guess what we're doing? We're real comfortable with the dead. Real. We entertain ourselves with it. We read it. We kind of soak in it a little bit. Don't we? And what is God saying to his church? Wake up, sleeper. Wake up. 
And I want to read you what that means. I looked up that word awake in the Strong's Concordance, and I can't see it, so hold on. It's really small. It says to waken, shocker, to rouse literally from sleeping or sitting or lying from disease and from death, to rise from obscurity, inactivity, ruins, and non-existence. Wake up. So some of us are lying, you know, amongst the dead. Some of us are inactive. Some of us are just lying amongst the ruins. But guess what? It's time to wake up. So I have been praying for the church. Awake. Awake. Awake to the call of God. Awake to the unctions of God. He has got things going, and he needs his church to awake and take part in it. Because he sits up in heaven. And who are his hands and his feet on this earth? We are. You know, and if his first coming needed prayed forth, Simeon, Anna, the prophets, they all prayed forth the first coming. And you know, there are way more prophecies about the second coming of Christ, way more than there were about the first coming. And if it needed prayed the first time he came, guess what? He needs someone praying it the second time he's going to come. Because there is an enemy that's trying to withhold. He doesn't want it. His time is short. And guess what? He is acting up. But it's time for the church to wake up and take her place of authority. You have been seated far above principality and power and might and dominion. You have been given that same authority that Jesus was given when he was raised from the dead. And we're not taking it, all of us, are we? So it's time to wake up. Arise from inactivity. Arise from among the dead. Separate ourselves. And Christ will shine on you. He will give you light. And what draws men to Christ? His light shining in the darkness. Okay, so we're going to wake up, right? We want to understand the Lord's will when we're praying. Now, I'm not talking about healing. Healing's very specifically written in the word that it belongs to us. Provision belongs to us. Deliverance from oppression, from depression, from all the Eshens, it belongs to us. We already understand that's his will, and we can take authority on it. But there are some things that are not specifically written in the word that he has a plan for that he needs us to hook up with. Well, how do we do that? We need to arise, get our ear attended to his words so that we can hear what he's saying. Let's go to Ezekiel. So we're going to pray for the church. We're going to pray for the church to awaken to his call, to his words, to his voice. Pray for the church to awaken. He needs his church to be flowing in his spirit. And the second thing he put in my heart to pray, I'm trying to go through this as quick as I can, is in Ezekiel chapter 37. And we're going to start in verse 9 because we don't have time to read it all the way through. But this is the section about the dry bones where God spoke to Ezekiel and he said, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, Only you know. Because in the natural, he's thinking, no way. But if God's asking, then there's got to be a different answer to this question than what I can see with my eyes. So he's saying, well, whatever you say, God, 
Whatever you say is what I'm going to say. So what do you have to say about it? And God said they can. So he spoke to those bones and they came together, bone upon bone, ligament on the bones, flesh on the ligaments and muscles. It all came together and it looked nice. But verse 8, at the end it says, but they still had no breath in them. And there's a lot of people in the church, you know what, they look nice, but there's no breath in them. There's no spirit, there's no fire, there's no power. And it is time for the breath. And so he told Ezekiel, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak to the breath is what the NIV said. Speak to the spirit to go and to move. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies, and they all came to life, stood up on their feet, a great army. So we're going to pray for the church to awaken, but we're going to speak to that breath. It doesn't even say pray for it. It says declare it. It says speak to it and say, breath, you come. We take our authority and say, breath, you come. And guess what? We have been saying that here for a long time, Holy Spirit, come. We welcome your presence. We make your presence welcome. And people can feel his presence when they come into this place. It's different. I went to a church in Wisconsin, amazing church, great pastors, but it wasn't the same. It just wasn't as thick. The presence of God wasn't as heavy. It was still good, and it was a good word, but it wasn't what we have here because we have been declaring the presence of God lives here. This is a cancer-free zone. His healing power reigns. Jesus reigns in this place, right? So we're going to speak to the breath and say, come, right? Because we don't just want to have a form of godliness, and deny the power. We want all of him. And guess what? If you're out here crying, fill me up, Lord. I want more of you. Then it's going to displace something of you so that there's room for more of him. And you've got to be all right with that. You've got to be all right with that. Say, Father, what do you need to take out? Because I want more. We are such a hungry people. And I was talking to my friend about it. I go, you know, every time we come together, there's just such a pooling on the presence of God. There's just such a hunger for more. And that's what draws and manifests him up and out of us. That power is always in us. But when you pull on it with that hunger and that thirst, he manifests. And we're not going to just have a form of godliness. We're going to have power here. We're going to have power out there. We're going to have power at work. This is not just a revival that's going to be here. And then you're going to leave and get discouraged because he's not with you. No, this revival cannot be contained. The early in the latter rain that he's getting ready to pour out, just like James said, the early in the latter rain together, it's a revival and a move of God that nobody alive has ever seen. Azusa Street will pale in comparison to what he's going to pour out. Why? Jesus is coming. He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth, and he's ready to reap it. His sickle is ready to just thrust it in, but he needs a people that's awake. 
And he needs a people that's full of the breath and the power of God. So we have a part to play in this. Awake, church. Awake. And speak to that breath to come. And that breath will come. Let's go to Isaiah 51. This was another thing that he had put on my heart in that prayer time that we had. Verse 9. And this sounds a little bold, but this is what I started praying. Awake, awake, O Lord. Now, God's not sleeping. He's not sleeping, but listen. Clothe yourself with strength. Flex your mighty right arm. We want to see his arm flexed. Rouse yourself as in the days of old. When you slew Egypt, the dragon of the Nile, are you not the same today? The one who dried up the sea, making a path of escape through the depths so that your people could cross over? Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. He says in verse 12, I, yes, I... I'm the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans? Why do you fear mortal men, the sons of men who are but grass? And he goes on to say, you have forgotten the Lord, your creator, the one who stretched out the sky like a canopy and laid the foundations of the earth. Why do we fear? Because we have forgotten the one who created it all the one who holds it all, the one who has a plan about everything. And so he wants us to get up and out of that fear and play. Have you ever prayed, oh, Jesus, 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 and just white-knuckled it? You ever just white-knuckled your prayer because you were just so scared? And then you left the prayer room not much happier than when you went in because it was just full of fear? I have a lot of times. But he wants to get us to praying from that place of victory. Praying like we know how big he is. (laughs) Really? Great faith isn't anything but knowing how great your God is. It's not this thing that you have or don't have. I have faith. I don't have faith. Faith is knowing how big your God is. And so we come, when we come into these places where we're about to pray on the will of the Lord for the nations, for the coming of Christ, then we need to pray from that place of knowing how big he is. We don't ever want to shame him by coming into prayer and telling him how big the problem is. Because to him... <laughs> It's not a problem. It's just not. He is big. He's bigger than anything we can imagine. We were worshiping over there tonight, and I thought, Father, my words are inadequate to tell you how good you are, to even declare how big you are, to even just decree how amazing you are. My words are inadequate to even share all of his word. We only see in part. We only know in part. We cannot fathom how big he is. He's amazing. And that's the place and the platform that you want to go to in prayer. 
Not down here seeing how big the problem is or how, how big you think the enemy is. Nothing compares to the one who created it all. Nothing. So we want to start coming into prayer in this, in this place of faith, knowing how great our God is. Amen? Are you with me? I know I'm going fast, but I want to get it all in. Trying to teach a seminar in half an hour, okay? (laughs) So we want to understand what the will of the Lord is. And I just want to give a few examples just to get our minds expanded. Because there are some things that could happen in the last days that we might not just even understand. And sometimes we go straight into prayer about those things that are not specifically decreed in the word. Praying what we want, what's going to make us feel comfortable, right? So we want to kind of maybe just take some boundaries off tonight and and look at things from a little different perspective. So if you'll go to Luke chapter 2, my favorite chapter to read in December, because it's about the birth of Christ. (laughs) And it says in verse 1, At that time the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. That word census can also be translated tax. And in most of the other translations, it is. They, he decreed that all the world would be taxed. That's what the NIV says. Is that what that says up there? I don't know what... Or the New King James says tax and amplified. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was obviously now pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So Augustus decreed a tax for the whole world. And that fulfilled prophecy. It's because of that tax that Messiah was born in Bethlehem where it was prophesied that he would be born. Because they were not from Bethlehem. They did not stay in Bethlehem. They went there for the tax and that's when Mary had the baby. And I wonder how many people complained about the tax. Complained about what fulfilled prophecy. Taxed? Again, don't they think they're taxing us enough? I have to go where? Now? I'm pregnant. I can't go that far. But that was what fulfilled prophecy. Go to Matthew chapter 2. Isn't it fun to think outside the box? (laughs) After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. 
Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem. But Jesus wasn't there because God had warned them and they went to Egypt. And guess what that did? Fulfilled prophecy. That wicked, wicked decision of Herod. God used it fulfill, to fulfill prophecy. We will never understand why some things happen. I know that didn't please God. All those babies dying? No way. No way. But it was because of that, that prophecy was fulfilled, that Jesus would come out of Egypt. Let's look at something else. Go to Matthew 16. Last one. And then we'll wrap it up. Matthew 16, verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Aw, Peter was trying to help Jesus have victory. Wasn't that nice? But what did Jesus say to him? Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. And this was one of the three. One of the three that was closest to Jesus. Peter, James, and John. And if they would have been praying, they would have prayed against the will of God. Jesus going to the cross was 100% the will of God. But Peter would have been praying contrary to the will of God. That thinking in. Why? Because he was seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. So we need to awake to his ear, to his voice. We need to speak to that breath to come and speak his words. And it goes back to, were any of you here when we taught on the river and drinking of the river? You know, when you drink in of the river, it's his words that are going to come out. That's why I'm real careful when I'm praying about national events to say, Father, you, you have a plan. I don't see it. I might not understand it. Protect your church. Protect your people. And I really had a sense when we were praying for the elections last time that if President Obama did get elected, that it was going to be like an Egypt thing. You know when the plagues came and the plagues fell in Egypt and not in Goshen? You think God's not big enough to protect his church? God is big enough to protect his church. 
He doesn't want us living in this fear. But he wants us praying his plan. Is that making any sense to you? He's amazing. And he's got an amazing plan. And at the end of it, it's glory. (laughs) It is glory. Jesus said, be of good so we're going to be of good. So that when everybody else is depressed and f- afraid out of their minds, and they look at us laughing, they're going to say, what is wrong with you? And we're going to be able to tell them what is right with us and what's wrong with them, right? They need Jesus. And there's a revival that's coming, and he wants us to be praying. So we're going to pray the will of the Lord. We're going to pray for the church to awaken. It's not going to be a denomination. It's not going to just be here. You know, Jesus in John 17, I'll say this and then I'll close. We don't have time to pray. But in John 17, Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And guess what fascinates me about that? It's the only prayer that Jesus ever prayed that did not come to pass yet. And I have really been jumping up and down on that one in prayer because the church has got to come together. And that's not too big for God. If Jesus prayed it, you've got to be sure that before he comes back, we are going to be one. This outpouring of his spirit, this early in the latter rain, it is going to cross denominational boundaries. It is going to cross church walls. We're all going to work together. This competition among churches, time for it to go bye-bye. You know, if everybody in the city of Warren went to church Sunday, all the churches in Warren wouldn't have enough seats to contain them. There's enough fish in the sea for everybody. And he wants us praying along those lines. The church, not just our church, the church to wake up the breath to come, the fear to go, and the will of the Lord to be done. There's one prayer that ended the whole Bible, and it was when John said, come. And if you pray that simple prayer, come Lord Jesus, and that's all that you pray, you will not begin to imagine how powerful that prayer is. It puts pressure on everything that has to happen for that to happen to come to pass. Just saying, come Lord Jesus, is a powerful, powerful prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for using me tonight. As inadequate as my words are, I pray that you would take them and break them apart to each and every person in this place. Father, reveal to us our part to play in this. Reveal to us what you would have us to pray, what you would have us to wake up from, what you would have us to walk away from and lay down so that there's more room for you. Fill us and flood us with your will, Father, with your plan, with your unction to speak forth your words. In Jesus' name, amen. I think that's it. Can I can I bless tonight? It's not Sunday, but I'd like to say speak a blessing over you. So if you could raise your hands up. Go ahead and stand. 
Father, I bless these people. Bless them with your breath this week. Bless them with your life this week. I speak words and unction and life and power and strength to walk away and walk above and walk into everything that you have called each and every one of them to. In the name of Jesus, we say breath come as they lie down at night, as they wake up in the morning, that your joy and your presence would saturate every one. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, 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 yes. Thursdays from 1 to 8. Ladies, you do not want to miss this carpool. Get a group of ladies together. Pam, um, Gregory, I know that. <laughs> she lives out in Newton Falls, but she has an open house style ladies meeting every, every other Thursday, first and third Thursdays. Um, there's soup, there's salad, there's fun, there's fellowship, there's word, there's prayer. Whatever you need is there, and you don't want to miss it. I'll be there at 1 o'clock, I think, on Thursday. But um, if you can make it at all, there might be flyers hanging around somewhere. Joe in the sound booth is her husband. You can see him if you need directions or anything. All right, you're dismissed. <laughs>